Reputation is everything. We've all heard it and we all believe it. Be it building and monitoring your online reputation or measuring your resident satisfaction in real time, we all know how important that is. The truth is we spend too much time asking for reviews, responding to reviews, surveying our residents, and analyzing those surveys. This is all important, but there needs to be an easier way to manage it all. And in student housing, sometimes there just needs to be an automatic way of managing it, like during turn or for move-in day. Well, there is one platform out there that does just that. It's called Opinion. Opinion integrates with your property management software to automatically ask residents for reviews so you can get real-time feedback. It also works to generate more positive online reviews and ratings completely in the background without you ever having to push out an email or a text message. You can build surveys that are automatically sent out based on certain events within a tenant's lease cycle or an ad hoc community-wide survey. And it's working behind the scenes to analyze all of that feedback and present it to you in a way that you can quickly understand your property's resident satisfaction level and get insight into your team's performance. Listen, there are a lot of platforms and applications that can help you monitor and respond to your online reputation. Some will even help you generate more reviews, but Opinion allows you to do it hands-free and brings you the feedback you need in order to take meaningful action. So let Opinion do the heavy lifting and give your team more time to focus on your tenants. For more information, click on the link in the show notes or go to Opinion, which is spelled with three I's, O-P-I-N-I-I-O-N.com forward slash S-H-I. Again, that's Opinion.com forward slash S-H-I. Go there today and get a special promotion for our audience members. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today is Greta Dare. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I, I am doing fantastic. Everything this fall is off to a very early start, which in a lot of ways is really good. And I, I think it's all good. But in some ways, it's like introducing a couple of new headaches, I think, for everybody. <laughs> and, you know, but, it, but it, it's exciting. So I think... Um, they're, they're still good headaches. They're not bad things to worry about. Not having to worry about leases is never an actual bad thing. Yeah. I don't care what you say. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And th- that's, what, that's what the purpose of this podcast today is going to be. I don't know exactly what we'll title it because... Uh, it's so here's what's happening. We started seeing a lot of things back in July about a lot of, especially flagship tier one universities overbooking and having to send letters to, to students saying they didn't have housing or I don't, I, I don't know if you caught on to it in the, in the webinar that we're going to play for everybody here in a little bit, but there was even university of Utah sent out letters to alumni that, lived in the the Salt Lake City area, asking them to please house their students for like $5,000 a semester or something like in their home. (laughs) And so that's, 
level that we've got to. And you know, what's amazing about that is, and, and I want to get into this a little bit, but it's also going to be part of a, of a, of one of our upcoming podcasts. That's all happening when the country is reporting as far as higher ed is concerned, you know, over an 8% decrease since basically since fall of 2020. And it's even more if you go back to fall of 2019, obviously. And the, you know, so when you think about that, you know, an 8% loss in higher ed, you think, well, geez, we ought to be, you know, we ought to be really struggling and don't get me wrong. There are some universities that, and, and housing managers out there that are struggling, but it's not happening at the tier one. It's not happening at these flagship universities. And, you know, I think they kind of saw this coming and it's, um, you know, it, the, the community colleges and the tier three schools and the tier two schools are the ones that have really taken it on the chin and they're the ones seeing the most, the most loss. So if you're a housing manager in one of those universities and, and you're dealing with that, you know, my, my condolences, I, I, I understand I've, I'm actually right there with you from a consulting standpoint, because I've got uh, a client that um, uh, is kind of experiencing that. And, you know, it's you just have to kind of basically grind it out. <laughs> well, and we've <laughs> all been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just it just is what it is. But, uh, you know, for everybody else, this is a fantastic time. Um, <laughs> like you follow it up you're like but for everyone else it totally doesn't suck as bad for you yes, be so. happy be happy for, <laughs> be happy for everyone else yeah so I, I don't know i mean uh, with uh, you know you've got several clients as well that you're helping out from a leasing and marketing standpoint what are what are you seeing well not just from leasing and marketing but yes um it is it's actually pretty consistent and i was wondering that when all of the reports just started first started coming out about the the leasing was really ramping up that revenue rates all of those things and i was like is this going to be across the board is this going to be across the country like how is this going to work and i was really surprised to see that people contacting um, in each one of these markets that we had leads already reaching out prospects. We had residents that were reaching out for renewals just like out of the blue in this really fervent, urgent <laughs> manner. Like, and it was like, where is the, is this just like, is there a secret chat that everybody's communicating and they're like, you have to do this or you won't have anywhere to live. Well, so yeah, it's yeah, intense. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I was speaking to with the overbooking was, you know, really how that just impacted everybody filling up kind of at the last minute for this yeah. fall. But that has now translated into very early lease ups. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, so my example on the on the overbooking was University of Utah. But then we've also got when we look at the headlines and we start looking at pre-leasing, we look at Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, which oh, big man. congrats to to the volunteers for defeating the uh, Crimson Tide <laughs> this past week. That was an incredible game, and was uh, was happy to see Tennessee's finally turning it around. So excited for those guys! But yeah, I mean the standard there, uh, and you and I are familiar with that market, and specifically with that property. 
And, uh, you know, the, this was a property five, six years ago when it was delivered. It was delivered late and it, you know, that caused issues, you know, even the next year filling it up. And uh, this year. <laughs> wild, wild difference. Yeah. This year they, you know, they were making headlines because they were literally camping out on the sidewalks. And, you know. Lined up outside like it's Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I do have to say and love all the folks over over at Landmark and but any of us that are having a situation where we are um, having students camp out, I just feel like there's a better way to do that. <laughs> I was actually, to- yeah, I was just thinking that when I just compared it to Black Friday and I was like, I wanted to follow it up with, I know that sounds good because then you have that urgency and you have that line. That's great until people have to spend the night outside because yeah, yeah. now our first responsibility is always to our students and our community that we are there to serve yeah. and having kids sleep outside is, is not, is not where, where we're serving them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe that was part of the strategy. I don't know. I doubt it. Um, I think that's just probably a situation where, you know, it could have happened to anybody in Knoxville. You know, I I don't think anybody was really, I don't want to say anticipating, uh, you know, that much of a surge, but yeah. And this is what happens when the university, because I I put a lot of that blame at the university's feet and I'll get into that in a minute because it's a little bit of a epidemic among universities that I want to mention, but you know, they, they knew that they were accepting more than what they could, you know, what they could house. And they ended up having to secure the holiday Inn, you know, for their transfer students to live because there was no other housing. We're also in a situation where there's severe inflation that's, that's happening. And yeah, that's, uh, you know, to us in the, in the housing world, that's, somewhat great because we get to raise rents and, you know, everybody's kind of expecting it. But for some families out there sending their kids off to college, that means they can't afford to live off campus. And so that puts even more pressure, you know, on campus. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, I felt like some of that could have been, some of that could have been headed off. But, uh, but anyway, uh, those are things you, you have to look back and, and learn from those, those things, obviously. But, but yeah, let me let me let me break down a couple of things because I don't think there's an article from August and and I'm going to mention it in this segment that we're about to play. But it was in Forbes. I think it was like August 22nd, and, and you know the title was something along the lines of uh, record enrollment in universities across the country, and it basically goes through kind of listing some of the universities that even at that point in August were reporting you know, huge growth, you know, typically anything over 3% is when a university grows more than 3% in one year, there are going to be some huge strains, even on the infrastructure of that, of that campus. And because uh, you, you got to start thinking about, you know, how much food they're ordering for, for food services and all this kind of stuff that, you know, that's another podcast, but we, we got to think about where that's coming from. And there's there's kind of two things with it. One, everybody wants to, and this article references it, and this is the only thing that it references as the reason behind it, which is we're in this post-pandemic world, um, or at least we think that we are, and people want to 
you know, return back to normal. And there's also been kind of this pent up demand of, you know, high school students that may have either, they've been living at home for the past two years and they're over it, or, you know, maybe they actually put off going to college and, and they're literally coming in as a freshman two years after graduate, graduating from high school. And while I believe that some of that is true, that's not where the problem comes from. The problem comes from the fact that two things we've got a we've got an enrollment decline that is that everybody's been talking about that's coming in 2025 uh, i'm sorry not an enrollment decline a population decline in in gen z that's that's really going to hit in 2025 and everybody's kind of been preparing okay how are we going to how are we going to compensate for that and and this is just a in the u.s this this isn't in like in UK, you're actually seeing the exact opposite. And so they were already having conversations at universities about that and, and what that would look like. When everything happened with the, with the pandemic, it really kind of fast forward a lot of those discussions and, and, and what those actions ended up being. But the, the other thing that you see is that we've talked about several times you know, there's been no international recruitment for the past two years. The international students that were here in March of 2020, that has been really the only group that we've been able to pull from. International students that have come here, you know, since March of 2020, it's not because they met a recruiter from a, a U.S. university. It's because, you know, they had family that had already gone through that experience or, close friend that already gone through that experience and, you know, everything just kind of worked out from a, from a travel standpoint that they were able to, to make it into this country. So those numbers have been greatly reduced as much as I, especially with public universities want to say, Hey, they're there for the good of, um, of the public. They're a business at the end of the day. And it takes four to five in-state students to replace the revenue that a university gets from one international student. It typically takes two, two to three, in some states even four, in-state students to replace an out-of-state student. And we've got to remember that you know, these same recruiters have not been able to go to other states and you know, go to the high school recruiting days. And so because of that, you've seen this huge swell at these, especially at the flagship universities in each state, because those universities have said, we've got to make up for this. And to go back to Tennessee, to use an example, you look at the other, like a UT Chattanooga, the exact opposite has happened. They've actually shrunk. And you look at, you know, some kid in Minville, Tennessee, who is, uh, you know, graduated from high school. He's grown up, uh, you know, a volunteer fan and because, you know, he, he's, let's just call him a, you know, a B plus student and, you know, didn't do so well in the SATs. He was probably headed for a, a UT Chattanooga, but because SATs and ACT scores weren't being counted and because these universities, not all of them necessarily relaxed their standards. They certainly did with SAT scores. But, you know, they just ended up accepting more. And, uh, you know, that that kid in Midville, Tennessee, gets, you know, a letter from, acceptance letter from UT Chattanooga and from Knoxville. Well, 
you know where he's going to head. <laughs> he's going to Knoxville. And so uh, that that's what's that's what's played into this. And like I said, we've got another I've got a another podcast coming up in another week or so where I'm actually talking with the university administrator um, about that. And and I'm very thankful for him coming on because there's not most of the university administrators that I've talked to, you know, they've all confirmed it, but they don't want to get on the podcast and talk about it. But this this particular one is uh, is brave enough to do it. So. So be looking for that. Hopefully everybody can kind of put those, you know, have been able to put those puzzle pieces together. But, you know, that begs the question of, okay, how long is this going to last? And, you know, I I don't know necessarily the answer to that. What I am excited about is this is going to be a key topic that we're talking about at LeaseCon. And that's that's another segment that we're going to play here today as well. But LeaseCon is coming up. In Charlotte this year, and I keep saying just lease con, but it is lease con turn con. So for those folks on the operation side that don't necessarily deal in leasing and marketing, this is also a conference for you too. But that is going to be happening December 6th and 7th in Charlotte. Um, so, and I've got to come interview. see us. Absolutely. <laughs> so excited. I don't have to travel for this one. I know, right? I'm excited. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we've got a interview with Rich Kelly that I'm going to p- play a little bit later. But uh, for this next segment that uh, I wanted to kind of be the basis for today's episode is uh, something that I actually took from Shop Talk. Those that don't know what Shop Talk is, go to shoptalk.info um, for more information. But it's a monthly webinar that we produce here at Student House Insight for the industry. And when I met with, uh, there's a leadership committee that we have for Shop Talk, and it is um, led by six individuals, uh, executives that are you know part of the um, top ten operators in the country. And one of the things that we talk about each month is, hey, what kind of topics do you guys want to talk about next month that are you know currently impacting things within student housing? And so. Back in September, they were already seeing this early leasing and thinking about how it was going to change their their strategy from their initial marketing plans. And sure enough, I started getting you know a couple more emails from folks saying, "Hey, we're really seeing a lot of this. It would be good to you know discuss this on Shop Talk." And so that's what we did. And I think you guys are are going to get a lot out of it. But there's um, three folks that join us. I was really really proud of how kind of diverse it was from the standpoint that we had Laura Formica from Core Spaces. And many of you guys will remember Laura from uh, when she was at Homestead. She's recently joined Core Spaces. And so they're ones that are really experiencing this. A lot of their portfolio is, you know, core assets that are really close to campus. And then Peak, uh, we have Elena Jackson from Peak Made. Yay, Elena. Uh, yeah, I had not met Elena before, so it was it was good to, to finally meet her. And, you know, Peak is kind of all over the board with, because uh, they're mostly third party. I believe they're mostly third party. Mm-hmm. And they've got everything scattered from stuff that's off campus, three miles to stuff that's, you know, right on campus. I think they even do a little bit of P3 stuff. And so it was... Uh, it was good to kind of get that perspective. And then we had John Rebold from Granite Student Living, who's their chief revenue officer. And they're kind of the, they started off as kind of the typical mom and pop 
operator in West Lafayette. And now they've grown with a national footprint of both purpose-built student housing as well as this scattered site uh, student housing with you know single-family homes and small apartment buildings and and so you know that's a that's a completely different product and even within those portfolios there's a lot of uh, differences in the in the product so it was good to get his feedback on this as well but you've listened to this any any takeaways you think or anything you feel like the audience needs to pay close attention to um, I think that there was some great information in here. I loved the the array of different companies and perspectives and markets and products. So I'm I'm glad that this is being included in a podcast and that everyone has the opportunity to re-listen to it. So really that would be the, the big key takeaway, but then also, and this isn't necessarily on the topic of this specific thing, which was kind of what you talked about. If you aren't already registered for Shop Talk, go get registered. It's absolutely helpful. And every single month hearing from people like you will hear on this, um, industry leaders to be able to stay in tune of what's going on when it happens. And this is why, because this topic is currently, you know, obviously impacting everybody. And this is a huge one. I think that, you know, we all asked the question last year, are we going to see a huge shift in the industry from a leasing perspective, from tours, from all of these revenue perspective rates, all of this. And that question is now being answered. And right now we're about to hear how how it was impacted or impacted three different, you know, companies in three different ways in, you know, with three different product types or multiple different product types rather. So. Yeah. 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 Let's get into it. Let's go ahead and, uh, and push play on this. John, while we're waiting here for Laura and Elena to join, how are things going? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to to bring you on because you're with Granite Student Living. You're their chief revenue officer, and um, Granite is such of a unique company. Um, you guys are over 10,000 beds. You're you know, top 10 operator, but you're doing that with you know scattered sites. You're doing that with central leasing offices, and you've got PBSH communities out there. So this this whole thing about leasing and how quickly things are, are happening this year. I'm looking forward to, to talking to you a little bit more about it. Elena and Laura, welcome. Hello. Hello. Well, hey, let's go ahead before I get, before I get started with it. Um, I want to go ahead and have you guys introduce yourselves and a little bit about your company. I also like to find out a little bit about, or have you share a little bit about what's happened so far this year you know, year over year, same store, what you guys are seeing from a pre-leasing standpoint. Awesome. Well, thank you for having us, Wes. Um, I'll jump in. My name is Laura Formica. I am the Senior Managing Director of Operations at Core Spaces, and I oversee the um, student housing and build to rent uh, portfolios for the property management division. Um, We have 38 student housing properties, a little over 23,000 beds, and we're seeing really great momentum so far this year across our 22 market. Um, our company was uh, founded in 2008, uh, based in West Lafayette, and we've since expanded to uh, 16 other markets. I think we're in eight states and have a little over 10,000 beds, um, but we manage a little over 400 properties. So anything from 
single family homes to larger purpose-built properties um, in tier one, all the way down to tier three college markets. I am Elena Jackson. Hi. I'm the director of sales and marketing at Peak Made, which is a fully integrated third-party management company. And I oversee the sales and marketing strategy for new developments. We manage 64 student housing properties, which is about 33,000 beds um, and are currently pre-leased at about 9%, which is 3% ahead of where we were this time last year. Um, so super excited about that. Um, we're in line for same-store portfolio. Um, we're currently occupied at 97%. So we had a phenomenal lease up last season. And I'm super excited to talk about this topic because it's a hot one right now. Well, fantastic. Well, again, I'm titling this, is everyone experiencing early renewals and pre-leasing? Um, so not not a too catchy title there, but let me kind of give some background on where this came from. Um, each week, I meet with a leadership committee for Shop Talk and just talk with them about, hey, what's going on in your world that we want to make sure that we're talking about as far as topics for Shop Talk? And uh, Pretty much immediately, this was like, I think September 19th was when we met last and and they were already saying, hey, we, we know a lot of schools have overbooked. That's causing some you know increased demand on our side. Really want to find out if that's changing up strategy for, for you know, any of the operators out there. So I wanted to talk about that. And then literally like a week later, I get this email. Uh, which uh, Lauren, <laughs> Lauren, uh, this is uh, this is probably the main reason that we went to you to to be on this. Since Ben Ben stuck his hand up and said, "Hey, we've been seeing something here." <laughs> yes, Ben Vallen told me to to come speak on it. <laughs> yeah, and so so Ben is their managing director for strategy and research at Core Spaces, and. He says this, we've seen leasing this year kick off sooner than any year I can remember in the industry. And I'm hearing that renewal percentages for this early in the leasing season are really high. I'm wondering if that's just a core or the entire, if that's just a core or the entire industry. Do you think you can have renewals and pre-leasing as a topic of a future shop talk? It would be great to go around the horn and see how everyone is doing and to hear if we think they're might be a shift in the mindset of students uh, now to renew earlier. So, um, so yeah, that's what today's panel is. And because we do want this to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of an interactive uh, around the horn has been said, uh, panel, just again, want to remind everybody about both the chat as well as the Q and a, and then also the request to speak function uh, would love for some of you guys to come up, uh, especially some of the, you know, Chief operating officers and and uh, folks that are that are counting that are looking at this every single week. I would love for you to jump on and give us a little bit of background on what you are seeing in the market. So just hit that request to speak button, um, and I can bring you up. I want to go back really quick and and say we did kind of see this coming. Um, certainly in mid July, we started seeing a lot of reports of schools that were overbooking on housing. They were having record enrollment for freshmen. And I kind of just want to go through this a little bit and, you know, see some of the headlines that we saw. But of course, uh, back there on the first one, Charlotte Observer here, you know, at a market that's close to me, um, and my alma mater <laughs> as well. Um, we, we started, uh, Back when we mentioned on the podcast, um, uh, you know, back in, in July, uh, Greta, who's one of our co-hosts, uh, found on a Reddit before it even hit the news that 
you know, this was going to end up being an issue at UNCC. And sure enough, uh, there was a lot of publicity around it. And if there was anything left in the market, it quickly was taken up. Um, and then just go around the country here, University of Iowa, they took a, a dorm offline a few years ago and, uh, you know, they were planning on replacing it, not ever opening it. They ended up having to open it anyway. Uh, FAMU, same thing. University of North Florida. Uh, Howard, this is in the Washington Post. I think we all know about this market. <laughs> University of Tennessee in Knoxville, they had to go out and and secure the Holiday Inn for students. Um, I think they've got mostly transfer students there, but that's something I just, you know, as a parent, I can't imagine having to send my you know son or daughter off to school and uh, all of a sudden, you know, where I thought they were going to stay, they're now going to have to stay in a hotel that's, you know, kind of away for every, from everything. So, I could see the anxiety with parents, you know, starting to say, okay, well, what are we going to do next year? Um, and, but we did see several other uh, universities go out and secure hotels as well. Um, Texas state had to uh, literally like a week beforehand, uh, before school started, they had to, you know, send out assignments that, Hey, we're going to put you in triples instead of doubles. And then CCU or coastal Carolina university, same thing. They had to do a, um, a master lease with the peer. And then they also secured a hotel as well. Uh, the person that's actually on here, I'm going to be interviewing in a, um, in a podcast, Steve Harrison. He's their director of auxiliary services, I believe. Housing falls under that. And we're going to be talking on a podcast that should come out in another week or so, uh, just about what caused this for universities. So make sure you tune in for that. There's some more University of Cincinnati. It just goes on and on. But hey, this this one was great. I love this one. <laughs> and, and leave it up to, to University of Utah to do something unique. But they were actually offering alumni to take in students into a living space and paying them $5,000 a semester. If that doesn't say community, I don't know what does. Um, and and then kind of the last thing here on August 21st, uh, there was this Forbes article, and I'll put this out there as well, because I think uh, for a document that, to download. Um, so, yeah, all around, we've got schools that are that are overbooking. I think there's a lot of reasons behind it. A lot of people will talk about, you know, it's it's somewhat related to uh, you know what we're seeing with the pandemic going away. I don't know that that's necessarily yet. And we'll talk more about that later. But so my first question, you know, obviously these institutions are overbooking on-campus housing and they're likely seeing, you know, high uh, occupancy off campus. And, and therefore, students are trying to lock in housing quickly. But are you seeing this trend at, at other schools as well that, that aren't seeing the overbooking? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, our three largest markets are Purdue, Indiana University and Virginia Tech. And we've had you know a lot of success at those markets. Um, I would say when you get into the tier two and tier three markets defined by you know enrollment size, like Charlie mentioned earlier, they still seem to be much later markets. Uh, I mean, specifically referencing um, University of Memphis, Indiana State University, uh, we're still leasing you know well into May and June in those markets. Um, even though we've had quite a bit of success in in Memphis, and uh, they have an enrollment increase this year. But some of the tier two and th tier three have actually seen um, 
the adverse uh, um, impact. So Indiana State at one point was around 13,000 students in 2015. They're just over 8,000 right now. And it's one of our toughest markets and there's quite a bit of competition there. So, you know, whereas, you know, West Lafayette, uh, IU Bloomington and Virginia Tech all had uh, pretty significant enrollment increases this year or the past couple of years, really. And we've had quite a bit of uh, pre-leasing success going into it right now in West Lafayette. We're, um, we're about 4% ahead of where we were uh, last year. Um, and that date is, is backdated by two weeks. So we're about 45% pre-leased for our pedestrian to campus and uh, West Lafayette and about 25% and IU Bloomington. Elena, we can go to you next. Yeah. So we're also, you know, seeing customers aggressively pursue housing options. Um, we were pre-leased last year at 90% before June. Um, so I think we're, we're seeing that same thing, you know, trend now. We're having very successful lease launches and priority days again this year. Students are wanting to lock in that lowest rate before they increase. And parents and guarantors, I mean, you know, prepared themselves for that to happen. Um, they're well aware of some of the significant increases that we're seeing across the country. So off-campus housing, I mean, because of the record-breaking leasing numbers we saw last season, uh, we were able to learn a lot about our renter and what they want um, and that they'll continue to make these decisions a lot earlier. We had... What do, what do they want, Elena? Well, I mean, they want the transparency. They want us to be upfront about when those rates are going to increase. Um, they mm-hmm. are starting very early, West with their search. They're all over our websites, all of our social media platforms, doing their due diligence to find where they want to live so that they can lock in that pricing. Um, and so I think we'll continue to see that just, you know, happen. They want to jump. They want to jump at the chance to lock in the best price. So, so are they are they asking, you know, because in my mindset, it's, you know, from a from a landlord perspective, when you talk about those rates going up, it, it's really determined on, you know, velocity and how pre-leased you are from a student's perspective. It's more of, hey, what date? And, and you know, we don't know when that date's happening. So is there anything that you're doing to, to combat that or are you just using it to build urgency? Yeah, so we are. We're using it to create urgency. And I think it depends on the market because not all markets, you know, respond to deadlines. Some of them, you know, we simply just have to let them know we have X amount of bed spaces left in a specific floor plan and they hop all over that. But yeah, that that language is typically works really well to create the urgency. It's all about the price. Um, so as long as we're transparent with when those rates are going to go up, if we know that in a specific market or how many spots are left, I think that we'll continue to see them, you know, want to lease faster. Gotcha. Laura, how about you? Are you seeing it outside of, um, I mean, obviously we had the email from, from Ben that, that I read out, but schools that aren't overbooking, are you seeing this kind of urgency with those students as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, some of the internal conversations we've been having is, yes, there's the the housing shortages and then there's not enough desirable housing. So not enough modern housing with bed, bath parity and the true product that students want. I think that in addition to that, and Elena's kind of touching on it, um, you've got the impending recession and inflation and prices just continue to rise. So I think parents have accepted the fact that rates are going up. And when you message, this is the low it's it's going to be, and then we're going to continue to to increase prices from here, they expect it. And there's that, that rush to lock in at the best rates possible. 
Um, so we're seeing that, you know, Charlie touched on some of these markets, but Champagne, we're 74% pre-leased, um, 15% of, of prior year, and we are trending towards a, uh, over a 10% rate increase. So we've already pushed rates there over five times. Um, similar situation in Lexington, we're 70% pre-leased, um, 43% ahead of this time last year. Wow. Uh, and trending towards a 7% increase. Uh, so Core did something interesting this year, um, and we've certainly tried it. I've tried this in other markets and and in former roles, but uh, they launched renewals on move-in day. And I think, again, the current climate, the economy, the inflation, like for parents to say, okay, I can sign now, be done with it, not have to worry about it, and this is the lowest option I'm going to have, I think that was a huge success and started us off really strong. Gotcha. So that ties back into, you know, my next question that I was going to ask you in regards to to revenue management, you know, in addition to student housing insight, I'm, I also do asset management for some clients. And we even had a property that, uh, you know, they leased up kind of quick last year, but um, then they started it on October 1st. And this year the manager, you know, said, Hey, I, you know, I really think we need to start a week early and just like, okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> and I know he knows his market. So we said, let's, you know, let's go ahead and jump on it. And it, he reached 43% last week. And this is a tier three market that he's in. And, but we were, you know, we were supposed to meet every week to talk about, you know, climbing that leasing ladder and, the, and, and triggering those different, you know, those different rental tiers. We had to meet five days straight to talk about it because that's just how quick everything was going. I'm just curious, how are you guys managing that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with this one. Um, so we actually recently, you know, I joined the company about six weeks ago and uh, we recently went through a little bit of a, of a restructure in terms of, of roles and responsibilities. And we created a whole new division focused solely on revenue optimization and leasing. So um, we have a managing director of revenue op optimization and her sole priority is looking at our rates and our tiers on a weekly basis. And how are we optimizing um, our pricing strategy and where do we need to pivot? Um, I think to one of the, to Ashley's question in the panel, uh, or I'm sorry, in the chat as to the panel's thoughts on using spots versus deadlines uh, right now, we're doing a combination of both, but I think it's really important right now to be flexible. Don't over-communicate in terms of quantities and deadlines and lock yourself into something when you have this opportunity to pivot and get a little more aggressive. Um, so our revenue optimization team is analyzing this, looking at strategy, sending out weekly updates on where we need to push. Um, and I think that that's, that's going to be a game changer and something that's really important um, is to leave that flexibility and, and, and ability to pivot and, and continue to push. Elena or John? I'll go. Um, so our teams are constantly watching their markets and um, how they're doing, what, you know, how net effective rate is changing. And we're partnering with our clients to push past those tiers when, wherever we can. Our portfolio, I mean, we, like I said, we've seen some significant increases across the board. And so I think it's it's encouraging to the teams to see that because, you know, we're all about getting to the coin. So, yes, when we have the opportunity to push, we will. Um, but our teams monitor that every single week. Gotcha, yeah, we we yeah, we meet weekly um, by 
market with the leasing team and the leadership team to determine, you know, where are we at in comparison to recent history, which we try to document um, thoroughly. And, um, and we, in conversely, I mean, if we get to a point where a certain property is trailing where it's historically been, you know, obviously you have the, the opposite effect of needing to potentially lower rates, but we're not experiencing that right now. I mean, everything's in question about, do we continue to raise and obviously it's floor plan specific right now. We're seeing a lot of our threes and fours fly off the shelf and ones typically go a little later for us, um, unless they're just in a great location. But I kind of like the idea of, um, you know, securing spots versus deadlines, um, which is we've seen a decent amount of success with that as, as well. But most of our stuff is just data driven based on uh, current market conditions and historical leasing um, progress. Yeah, a couple of things from the audience that have, uh, have put in some some questions um, and also released a poll called Have You Started Pre-Leasing for Fall 23 Yet? And so far, 18 percent. Uh, have just said their renewal campaign. 18% said not yet. And 63% have said full steam ahead. So that gives you some indication. But also uh, the, the thing going back to the to the spots, uh, Ashley Dukes, I believe is the last name. Uh, she asked, you know, what are the panel's thoughts on on using spots versus deadlines in, in marketing? So, John, you answered that question. Uh, Elena and and Laura, what's what's your opinion on that? Yeah, so we're we've done both. I think the primary strategy to John's point is really focused on tiers and quantities, but it's always helpful to have a deadline to push the message out to students and tie it to an event and really drive some momentum that way because sometimes quantities it means nothing to them. They need to know like end of the month, you've got till the end of the month or you've got till the 15th or whatever. So um, we definitely are, are using a combination of both. Same. So totally agree with Laura. I think it depends on the market, depends on the property. And we do the same. Some of our properties we use that deadline um, to create that urgency, but sometimes it doesn't work. And it's, it's just much more beneficial to be able to say, X amount of spots in the four by two or the four by four or whatever before, you know, the rate will go up or we, we no longer have them. So it just depends on the market. Gotcha. Well, John, I want to go back to that specific question that I kind of, um, that kind of led with as we were, you know, opening up this, this panel. Um, and, and before I ask that, just want to, you know, put out there to, to everybody, if you've got questions, please put them in the Q and a, um, and also, if you want to uh, come onto the virtual stage and, and ask our panel something or share with the audience how your uh, property or how your uh, company is is doing with the leasing season this year, uh, please do that. Uh, but John, like you said, you've got uh, you've got a mixed you know portfolio where um, you know we talk about going and buying. Uh, you know, a new property somewhere. You guys, uh, today you're in Blacksburg, I know, and, and you guys went into Blacksburg last year and actually bought a property management company. And so uh, you're dealing in these different markets, both with scattered site, where it could be single family home to, you know, small apartment buildings to you guys also manage the annex portfolio, which is a lot of tier three, but they're, they're you know, purpose-built student housing, you know, typically, you know, 200 to 400 beds max. I'm just interested in, in finding out how, if are you seeing anything between the different product types uh, this year versus last year that's different? Yeah, I mean, 
we're trending a little bit ahead, not significantly on some of the purpose-built um, properties in our large markets that's pedestrian to campus. Um, our largest property in West Lafayette is about 50% pre-leased, uh, about 5 to 10% ahead of where it was last year. I would say um, we are seeing pretty considerable pace with anything above a two-bed pedestrian to campus in our in our top-tier markets. Um, one beds or uh, uh, non-pedestrian um, seems to be leasing kind of on pace where it was last year, maybe a little bit ahead. Um, and, and rental rate increases probably about 7% plus. Um, the tier two, tier three markets, I mean, we just have really always, at least the ones we're in, have um, struggled to get much momentum at the same timing that we're seeing in places like a Purdue, IU, or Virginia Tech. Um, maybe it's because uh, in some of these markets like Indiana State, um, there's more supply than there is demand, which is not the case in a lot of our other markets. Um, Memphis, we had a, we got to 100% in Memphis, um, but it was super slow. I mean, it's almost like it's an afterthought uh, for housing um, when they come back from winter break. So, and then the, the tier three markets, um, uh, some of those take off a lot faster than others. And typically it's purpose-built stuff that's close to campus, but oftentimes it's not in competition with anything. Sometimes we're in competition with a couple single family houses in that market, but you know, the enrollment at these places is maybe 5,000 students. So um, they're, they're quite a bit different in um, demand and, and timing, but our tier one markets, uh, um, especially this year, but the past couple of years have really been strong early out the gate. Gotcha. Um, well, guys, again, I want to open it up for any questions. I haven't seen anything come through the through the Q&A or anybody raise your hand. But um, if you've got questions or, or want to comment, would love to to hear what you've got to say. Um, but, you know, another another question that I had for for the panel is you have you set any kind of, I guess, predetermined deadline as to that may have been different, maybe not necessarily in July, but maybe, you know, going back to June and thinking, and Laura, I know this is a little bit different for you because you were on vacation all summer, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but you know, when you're thinking about, okay, in June, this is, you know, I'm putting together my marketing plan. You know, this is how we're going to come out of the gate. Um, and, you know, you want to be, you know, X at this particular property or, or across the portfolio, um, by such and such a date, have you guys like drastically changed that at all um, based on what you've seen in the past you know, three or four weeks? Yeah. So I think across the board, because our sites are, you know, having larger lead targets and lease targets, renewal targets earlier, um, we're doing that as a portfolio. So all of those benchmarks, obviously, we'll see velocity a lot faster in um, because of our success that we had this last year. And what we're seeing now, we've been able to adjust not only that target wise, but also our strategy. So our renewal strategy and our new leasing strategy in some of the early markets, we've been able to just kind of launch and deploy some of those tactics earlier to try to get some of that. Um, a really good example um, is that we have a, an early renewal incentive program. It's called the Insider Club. Um, and our properties, some of our properties were able to launch that, you know, at least 30 days prior to when they did last year, this time, to drive that uh, that renewal, you know, kick. So, I, I mean, I think we'll continue to see that. Um, but most importantly, I mean, 
people are, they're lined up, they're ready. They want to secure their same spot, all of that. So it's working that we started earlier. So that's what I'm, I'm really excited about. Gotcha. Well, we do have a guest that just joined us, Adam Barley with the price company. How are you doing, Adam? I'm great. How are you? Oh, fantastic. So yeah, what's, I don't know if you've got a question or if you just want to. No, you, you know, I, I figured I'd just get on and share some of our sort of story to reinforce a little bit about what Laura and John and Elena have said. You know, we, we're seeing similar things, but I think what's really cool about our stuff is that, you know, we're about 20% or so pre-leased, which is about 5% or so ahead of where we were this time last year. I've been telling all of my folks when it comes to rate increases that like this year, 10 is the new five, right? So if you were going to get five uh, last year, this year you're expected to get 10. And and so that's the type of rent increases that we're seeing in some of these major, uh, major primary markets. And, you know, our average is probably going to be somewhere around six and a half, but we have some older garden style stuff versus some new high rise, you know, pedestrian right across the street from campus. But what's really interesting is that I don't think I have any properties at 20% pre-lease. I either have them at zero or they haven't even started, or I have them at 65, 75, 85% wow. already. So some of these properties we've had to shut off online leasing for like an hour or two yeah. until we can really get things and figure out where we are um, on a day, you know, you talk about daily tiers, we were doing hourly tiers for wow. a couple of properties. So that's sort of the, the, the theme of this year's leasing so far. Gotcha. Um, well, really quick, let me, I've got a question here from um, uh, Nick Kaminsky. Um, he says, how is the age of the property impact? And I'm sorry, Nick, my screen is really far away from me. <laughs> um, but I believe you're saying, I believe you're asking how, um, how's the age of the property impacting leasing this year? Um, which is, I, that I have seen some properties in the past couple of weeks that, uh, you know, that they're seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And, you know, they're talking about record leasing um, for the, you know, first time in three or four years. So yeah. Have you guys got any comments on, of the age I mean, of the property at all for us, Wes, we have a, we have a wide range. So I think we're really, it's a good position for us to speak in. And it's all about market. I mean, for example, in Clemson, uh, we have a 20 year old property that's four miles away from campus. That's already, you know, almost 30% pre-leased and that deal has never been that far ahead. So there's nothing special about it either. Um, and so people, need a spot to live in the Clemson market and they're, it doesn't matter. They're going for where they, where they want to go. And and ultimately age, it, it, it helps if you're new, obviously. Um, but um, some of these stories you're seeing about people camping out for properties, they're not brand new, right? I mean, so it's just all about, you know, at, at location reputation and then just market urgency. So. Gotcha. I've got a question from uh, Randall Paulison to the group. Um, has anyone else seen Greek life bounce back? Um, I'm assuming he just means the fraternities and sororities, um, or, or maybe you're talking about the housing specifically, uh, Randy, but he said we, we are noticing larger recruiting classes bouncing back from COVID. Uh, yeah. Is that helping at all with, with driving any of the traffic? Anybody notice anything? About I, 
I don't know that I've noticed it necessarily increasing uh, traffic as much as I mean, we do get benefited when a fraternity gets kicked off campus, um, uh, which, you know, it's unfortunate when that happens, but uh, it does seem to create a funnel. And once they're in, you know, if they like where they're living, you know, they're, they're more likely to recruit their friends. But um, I mean, the, the IU Bloomington market has a large Greek um, community. And I, I mean, I think there is record enrollments in some of those houses that they can't, I mean, they can't house everybody that's in the, in the fraternity or sorority. So, I mean, I think we do benefit from that, but I'm not sure what the number is. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with John. And I think maybe even more impactful to um, occupancy and, and just post COVID rebounding is the return of international students. Um, I was in Seattle this weekend um, where we have a high international population and we were doing a move in there and um I don't have exact data to this, although I'm curious where we are um, versus where we were in 2020 and 2021. It feels like, you know, that population has returned, which I think is going to help tremendously. So I know we're at the top of the hour here. I've got one more question from um, uh, Teresa Sapatis at, at RPM. Uh, she mentions a, a, a currently an article that's out there, I think, from Madison, Wisconsin, about um, uh, just students becoming vocal about the frustration of, of rents increasing so much. Um, uh, what kind of feedback are you guys getting when it comes to, to rates and affordability? Well, one thing we did early on, and I thought that this was, was really smart, um, was send out a letter basically educating the residents about increases to come and kind of the state of rental rates across the, the country. Um, so we we preempted that. I, I mean, I think you're going to have that um, across the board. I think, you know, to um, Ashley's other point here in the chat, I think you're going to get pushback when you're an older property with maybe some deferred maintenance or no big capital strategy to kind of justify it. But um, I think for us, it, it, it was being proactive and communicating and educating residents. Um, so we haven't seen that per se, but... Um, we're still early. Yeah. Elena? Same. So we, I haven't really seen any, it hasn't been crazy pushback, but like we talked about earlier in the conversation, I think parents and guarantors were expecting this because of inflation, because of what's happening everywhere. Um, and so I don't think people are, have been pushing back much for us. They just, you know, like I said, as long as we're being transparent about when those increases are going to happen as best we can, typically, I don't think we've gotten many complaints. Gotcha. Well, guys, I appreciate it so much. I know we could talk about this for probably another hour and we're getting some some pretty good um, feedback in the in the chat now. But we've got to uh, we've got to end it for the day. So um, panel, I appreciate you guys coming on. Adam, thanks for for coming in as well. Uh, a couple of just closing announcements for you guys. Um, one, make sure that you are sharing uh, shop talk with your colleagues and, and ask them to register. Want to make sure that uh, everybody knows what we're doing, and you know this is a time for the industry to kind of come together each month and and talk about what's happening. So um, if you've got colleagues that don't know about Shop Talk, make sure that you share that with them. The next Shop Talk is going to be Thursday, November tenth. It is going to move to Thursday for November because November eighth is Election Day, and I know many many of the companies are now giving employees off for Election Day, and we wanted to um, obviously 
consider that and, and how that uh, may play into someone's decision to attend or to vote. Um, so we will be doing that on Thursday, November 10th. Again, guys, the replay on this will be up on our website. Again, a big thanks to Laura, Elena, and John for that. Also for Adam jumping in to give his comments. Um, that's one thing about Shop Talk. We want it to be really interactive. And so uh, don't get me wrong. The chat is pretty interactive. And, and everybody <laughs> talking to each chat. other. Yeah, everybody <laughs> talking to each other on the chat. But yeah, we want this to be something where, you know, feel very comfortable, regardless if you're at the site level or you know, in the C-suite and you want to kind of put your two cents in on what you're experiencing, that that's what, that's what we built shop talk for. So, so yeah, please, please go register if you're not registered for that already. So the audience is actually getting two segments for the price of one today. And uh, we've got an interview with Rich Kelly talking about the upcoming conference that has been going on for about four years now. I'm really starting to love this conference. How about you? Oh, a hundred percent. Every, every year it definitely gets better. And I, uh, every year I'm excited that it's still happening. I think it's incredible and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. And, and we're doing a lot of, um, collaborating, I guess is the best way of putting it with, uh, with Rich and, and the student housing business team, France media team, uh, interface conference group team. And, and, you know, helping them with some of the, the content, the topics, the panel selection. And so uh, we did that last year. Happy to, to be doing that again this year, especially given the fact that it's in our in our backyard here in Charlotte. Uh, but yeah, LeaseCon TurnCon, it is December 7th, 6th and 7th. You've been here for a few years now in the Charlotte area. That week in December is, you know, it's pretty nice, right? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that, that that's one of the I was glad that it was going to be in Charlotte because it's not an overwhelming place. It's pretty easy to fly in and out of. And the weather is mild. So there's typically not any real concerns. It's not one of those situations where you're like, it's going to be hot and muggy because that's always the thing, right? Where everybody has a suit and jacket on. And then as soon as you walk outside, it's like, woof. And you're dying. And so, no, you're not really going to, it shouldn't, It you know, it snows like once in a blue moon and that's not really going to be a major concern. But yeah, Yeah. no, I think it's great. It's a good conference from the standpoint that it's kind of speaking to everybody on the operation side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it it does have that kind of peculiar name to it, LeaseCon, TurnCon. We've got to come up with a better name, <laughs> but it, uh, all of that aside, it is something that uh, is, there's going to be great content, regardless if you're on the leasing and marketing side of operations. And look, all of us are a part of TURN. Um, it's not just a maintenance facility you know, type of thing. It never has been. God, no, that's a whole industry. That's is, all of us. Yeah, that's yeah. all hands on deck. Yeah, except some of those people that end up somehow taking vacation during turn, which, uh, that's a, I didn't even know that was allowed. Is that allowed? <sighs> there was a, there was a whole like uh, online discussion about this over, <laughs> over the summer. What? Um, yeah, I probably need to update you about it. Um, yeah, yeah, oh. there's, yeah, yeah. All I can say is if you're in that, if you're privileged enough to be able to take, 
a vacation during that time, um, you should probably just stay off of social media about it. <laughs> oh. Don't don't post your vacation pictures. It's just it's, it it doesn't do a whole lot for morale. But um, anyway, yeah, yeah, that was a whole that was a whole thing in the yeah in our groups. So. Um, but yeah, no, TurnCon, or I should say Turn is definitely, it's always all hands on deck. It's always everybody pitching in to help out and playing some kind of role. So that's a that's another reason we wanted to combine this conference and, and make sure that, because it's a perfect time to be talking about Turn. There's everything from, you know, supply chain issues that we've been dealing with. You know, if there's any kind of updates that, any of the property management software companies are doing or groups like easy turn are doing, it's a great time for them to come in and, and talk about it and share it with others. And, and also to give feedback to them of, Hey, we experienced this in turn. There needs to be a fix to it. There needs to be a solution that you can provide, be it from, you know, furniture installs to, uh, you know, actually using a turn board. Right. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I am too. I think that one of the things that I was just thinking about kind of given the, you know, number of conferences of all different, the range of organizations and size, one of the biggest differences I think with LeaseCon TurnCon is the level of interactivity that you get to have with people and then also the kind of information that's covered and the timing of it. It's, it's entirely different than any other conference. And that's going all the way back to like my leasing consultant and leasing manager days mm-hmm. when, you know, it was like the local apartment association. Um, Cause like the, in, to compare it to like the Indiana apartment association, the big conference that they had there. And, you know, you're still in a room of 40 or 50 people. And I still loved that, that conference that was put on there. I learned really great fair housing stuff. However, this is, it's it's real leasing and marketing information, social media information, that kind of stuff that you can use and implement as soon as you get back to your property or back to your office. And then when it, like you said, when it comes to, or all of the, you know, you can ask real questions, you can interact with those people because it feels more intimate and interactive. And then also for the smaller ones where it's smaller groups of people of 20 or less, and it's very interactive and being able to do that, you really walk away feeling like it was enriching and you, you really, you gained so much from it. And you, you know, it's like the other, you can always feel like it was more networking or it was just, it's different. And so I highly recommend it. Yeah. And it's a different kind of networking. I mean, cause we, Oh yeah. The networking's still there. There's other things that we, you know, there's other conferences that we talk about on the show that, you know, we, we definitely prop up and, and love a lot, but everybody knows that you're not necessarily going there, you know, for content, maybe new content, you know, cause there, there's some things that are timely that, you know, will end up being topics on those discussions, but for yeah. the most part, their business development type, conferences and, and that's the reason they attract so much and so no one's going to put a negative spin on anything you know they're there to promote their company and you know things that they're doing and so even on the panels you're not going to get anybody that's going to say oh man we had this horrible issue and you know even if they responded great to it and 
you know, there's, there's a great story there. It may not put that company in the best of light. And so they're just not going to talk about it. And this is a conference where, no, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, what the issues were, <laughs> what yeah. you know, the things that, the things that are, you know, that there needs to be solutions to. And that was the exact not- word I had in my head. I was like, it feels more solutions focused and yeah. informational and educational. And that, that was something that we absolutely needed. And so it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, this is, this is for any and everybody, you know, from, from site level to C-suite. And, and I really encourage the folks in the C-suite. This is also a conference that you should be involved in from a standpoint of, you know, passing some things on to, to the, to the younger folks, to the folks that are um, just starting out their careers. Or I, I just think it's, it's something that the executives in this industry really need to, grasp and you know see it as a way that you know they can just a way that they can they can impact you know the the future uh, ceos and vps right so yeah I, i encourage everybody regardless if you're at the site level if you're you know in that that mid level uh as a regional manager portfolio manager uh, this this is the conference that you want to go to absolutely Yeah. So with that being said, let's get to this interview with Rich. Well, Rich, thanks so much for joining. I wish we could have done this live on Shop Talk, but I'll take a recording any day. So thanks for taking some time out on your Friday. Um, Before we even get started talking about LeaseCon, one, want to thank you for everything Student Housing Business and France Media is doing for uh, certainly for our industry, but also you guys had a fantastic interface back in May um, down in Austin. So really appreciate that. Maybe there's some some things on that you may want to talk a little bit about, but I really wanted to focus on LeaseCon and what, what's now being called LeaseCon TurnCon. And, uh, you know, with that being said, I'll just hand it over to you. Well, thanks, Wes. And thanks for having me and congratulations on Shop Talk and how well that's going. So yeah, so the, this will be our fourth annual LeaseCon TurnCon. Uh, did have one hiatus year there in COVID in 2020. Uh, and we're bringing it to your hometown. We're coming to Charlotte this year. So we're excited to change things up from a location standpoint. Yes, I don't know if I've told you, Wes, but the cocktail reception is actually, actually at your house. So you might want to tell your wife right. to start uh, start cleaning and prepping <laughs> things. No, we're going to be downtown in Charlotte. Great uh, hotel where we've done some things before. It's, the space should work really well for LeaseCon. And... Uh, you know, what can you say about today's leasing environment? It, things are pretty rosy, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of interesting things to still talk about as well as speculate about, you know, what may come in the future. So I think, you know, from a leasing and marketing standpoint, it's it's a very exciting time. I know the owners and operators in the space are fired up because leasing is going so well. So it should be a lot of good things to talk about. And then on the turn side, you know, turn is, is always going to be with us. And it's just a matter of figuring out how to do it better and how to do it more effectively. And I think the industry is figuring that out. And uh, the TurnCon part of the show will be focusing on that and just, you know, tips for, for better turn prep, technology that can help you with turn, what's up on the supply chain front, you know, are things finally getting better? What might be the case in, you know, five, six months when turn actually starts coming around or, or you're doing ordering now? So uh, no shortage of good stuff to talk about. Oh, fantastic. So yeah, Charlotte, it's going to be at the downtown or the uptown Hilton. Uh, is that correct? Yes. The Hilton, I think they call it Hilton Center City, Charlotte or Hilton Charlotte Center City. And 
uh, December 6th and 7th? Yeah, so we will start with roundtables on the afternoon of the 6th, and then the cocktail reception, opening reception on the evening of the 6th, and then full day, you know, 8 to 3 on December 7th. Well, I'm looking forward to it as far as, as, far as registration, and um, I know that you guys typically do some pretty fantastic group rates when it comes to when it comes to this conference. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a, a lowdown on that and where folks can go to register? Sure. We have our early bird registration rate available till the end of the month. I think it's uh, open till the 27th of October. And, you know, where people can register is just go to interfaceconferencegroup.com, click on LeaseCon TurnCon, and then just kind of follow the prompts. And there's a uh, there's a tab at the top of the website, the conference website for registration pricing, and then to register. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, Wes, because we and we've done this every year, and we've had companies take us up on it every year, is you know we really encourage owners and operators to bring your team. You know, bring a bunch of folks from the corporate level, and bring hopefully a lot of folks from the site level. Uh, and we are more than happy to incentivize that through you know group registration discounts, things like that, uh, because I just. You know, when you do a conference, it's, it's really the more the merrier. It's more people that everyone's there to network with, to learn from. And this really is an event that's a learning experience. And I think, you know, people can really uh, kind of reward some of their team members who've been doing a great job by bringing them to an event like this and giving them exposure to a lot of great information and a lot of great networking. Well, great. Well, I'm excited about it. Uh, I've already you know, talked to a few of the sponsors and folks that are looking to attend, and I think it's going to be you know, the best one that we've had yet and looking forward to seeing you in December. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to coming to your city. And yeah, I would just say, you know, it, the leasing environment is it's, it's going so well right now that I think there should be a lot of very positive discussion, as well as, you know, obviously think about the future because uh, circumstances change and we have to plan and prepare for that. So the, the leasing and marketing game uh, is, is always going on and it's just, it evolves and takes different twists and turns. And right now we're in a great path. So we should have a lot of fun things to talk about. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate it, Rich. Wes, thank you for the opportunity. Again, congrats with Shop Talk. And uh, let's uh, hope that this great uh, run that the industry's on keeps going on. Uh, absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Wes. Well, again, make sure that you get the least con turn con. It is, uh, if you're listening to this, I believe it's, it's next Thursday. I think it's October 27th, I believe. Uh, Maybe Rich said it in the segment. I just didn't catch it, but uh, that's when the early bird special goes. And look, if you are, you know, if you've got a team that you want to bring to this, give Rich a call because he, they are more than, than happy to, you know, work out some type of group discount for bringing a, a group of people. And, uh, and they're very generous with that. So that also being said, we have some tickets that we're going to be giving away as well. They've been gracious enough to, uh, to give us some free tickets to, to give out to the audience. So I'm not going to announce that, but you need to be paying attention to our Instagram and we'll make some, make some announcements there so you can possibly pick up a free ticket. Aren't you so excited you stuck around for the outro? <laughs> <laughs> well guys thanks so much again um make sure that you are registered for shop talk at shoptalk.info please like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to and also share it with your friends greta thanks so much hey no problem thank you it's always easier doing these things when when you're here <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, <laughs> thanks. All right. Take care, guys. Bye.